Welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers to provide you with tips, tactics, and strategies so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. I'm your host, Kerry Shumway, a CPA, CFO for a brewery, and a former CFO for a beer distributor. I've spent the last 20 years using finance to improve financial results in our beer business. Now I'm helping other craft breweries to do the same. Are you ready to take your brewery financial results to the next level? Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast. My name is Kerry Shumway and I'll be your host. Today I speak with Mitch Steele, brewmaster, COO, and co-founder of New Realm Brewing. Mitch and I talk all about contract brewing today. We talk about why New Realm chose to contract brew, how they got started, what the process looks like for a prospective customer, uh, types of tracking data that's provided, all of the contract terms and details that you'll need to know, and generally how to structure your pricing. So for now, please enjoy this conversation with Mitch Steele from New Realm Brewing. All right, Mitch, thanks so much for joining and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for asking me to do this. So give us a little background. I'd like to hear about your professional background and tell us what's going on at New Realm Brewing. Yeah, so I've been in brewing since the late 1980s uh, professionally, and I've worked at several different companies. Uh, Started off in a small brew pub, spent a good chunk of time with Anheuser-Busch and did new product development for them for a little while. Uh, Spent 10 years at Stone Brewing out in San Diego County as, as brewmaster and left Stone in 2016 to start New Realm Brewing Company with Kerry Falcone and Bob Powers back in 2016. So so New Realm, uh, we opened up our first brewery in Atlanta. Uh, We started brewing there in late 2017. We opened the doors officially in early 2018 in January. And so we've been, uh, you know, we just uh, went through our fourth anniversary uh, gearing up for some celebrations around that. And since we opened in Atlanta, we ended up, um, we ended up, uh, opening three more spots in, in the past few years. So, uh, the green flash brewery in Virginia beach got foreclosed on and shut down and, and we were able to go in there and bid on it in auction and get that brewery, uh, which is a, a much larger brewery than we have in Atlanta. And then in this past year, we opened up a craft distillery and restaurant in Savannah, Georgia. And we also took over a brew pub in the Charleston, South Carolina area. Um, We're on Daniel Island, just north of Charleston proper. So we've got four locations right now. We're uh, looking at opening a fifth in Greenville at the end of the year, Greenville, South Carolina. So we're you know, things are going fast and furious at, at New Realm. And, and last year we did, we did over 25,000 barrels of brewing last year. And I'm not sure exactly what the number was, but, you know, we, you know, starting from zero and being at, at, at 26, 27,000 in, in four years is uh, indicative of a lot of growth, right? <laughs> so we've been managing that. Well, good. That sounds like a a pretty exciting time for you guys. So there's lots of stuff we could dig into, but for today, we'll focus on contract brewing. I think it'd be useful, interesting for folks listening that might be, you know, looking at doing a contract brewing arrangement. So 
at New Realm. Uh, you guys are our contract brewer in addition to producing your own brand. So tell us why you chose to contract brew and how you get started. Well, uh, you know, like I mentioned, we, we acquired the brewery in Virginia Beach, the Green Flash Brewery, and that has a capacity, depending on brand mix, of somewhere around 40,000 barrels a year, uh, maybe closer to 45 at this point. And um, when we got that brewery, we started shifting some of our production up there, but, you know, we had a lot of extra capacity and, and the production we shifted out of Atlanta um, became excess capacity in Atlanta. So we were sitting on two breweries that had, you know, 60,000, 55 to 60,000 barrels of capacity and we're brewing it at 27 thousands. So, you know, we're, we're using our brewery about half of its potential or its capacity. And so um, we didn't set out to contract brew at all. Uh, we had a friend who was starting a brewery in another state. Um, he was a friend of Carrie and Bob's who asked us if we could brew his beer for him. And we started doing that in Virginia Beach and everything kind of grew from there. Mm, interesting. Okay. So it was really more Hey, we've got the space. We've got the capacity. Let's let's give this a shot. Fill the pipeline. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't part of our original business plan, but you know, business plans change. They do. <laughs> they have a way of doing that. So, tell me about how how this works. I guess for the novice that's out there thinking about it, you know, what what take me through a prospective contract brewing customer. You know, what does that process look like, and how do you determine ultimately ultimately if it's a good fit? Yeah, so there's a few things we look at when we start talking to customers. First and foremost is what is it that they want us to brew for them, uh, whether it's a beer or a seltzer or uh, something else, you know, and just just doing checking the boxes to make sure that it's a product we can make. Um, that's probably the first and most important step. And, and the way the process works is is usually somebody reaches out to us with some interest and we do a we do an NDA. So we've got a non-disclosure with them and set that up. And then we get on a conference call and talk about the recipe and how much volume they're looking to do and what their batch size is. And the batch size is also very important for us because we have limitations on our flexibility in both locations, but we can be pretty flexible. But if somebody's looking for 10 barrels, that's probably not going to work in our, in our business. But, um, you know, and, and, and so we have those conversations make sure it's a good fit. And if it looks like a good fit, they'll send us a recipe. We'll build out the recipe for our brewery using our efficiencies and those kind of things, and then price it out and send them a contract and a quote uh, for uh, a rough estimate of the cost of, of producing their beer for them. And, and then if they sign it, we, we start brewing and we've got a, um, a director of supply chain who handles all the coordination with the customers, she does the um, the scheduling. She makes sure that we have the packaging material, the ingredients, those kind of things available for them when they want their beer. Excellent. Okay, so I'll just uh, recap quickly. So you start with an NDA, basically a non-disclosure, so you guys can have an open conversation. You set up a call and you talk about the particulars, you know, how much beer are you looking for, batch size and so forth. They send the recipe, you guys price it out get to a contract with all the details and we'll dig into that in a bit here and then a quote for do you typically have repeat customers or 
is it a mix of you know maybe just someone needing one one run or how, how, how does that work you know everybody that we brewed with has been a repeat customer so uh we haven't done any one-off beers um it, you know we started off with the idea of maybe doing that but it, it's for, in each case, there's been a couple of situations where where the people approach us and just wanted one batch of beer, and in each case, they've come back to us and asked for more. So every customer we have right now is a repeat customer. And you mentioned that, say, a ten barrel run is probably too small, but do you have a quantity minimum? Like, if it's not ten, is it, or does that depend on other factors? It depends on the brewery that we're going to brew the beer at. Uh, Virginia Beach, we have a fifty barrel minimum. We uh, and I, I think you're going to get into this later, but we do offer some incentives to brew bigger batches. Uh, Atlanta, we can do 20, 40, or 60 barrel batches. Virginia Beach, we can do 50, 100, or 250 barrel batches. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe speak to that now since you brought it up. Is What do those incentives look like? So if somebody comes and says, well, I need X, and you're like, well, if you do 2X, it'll be, is it a pricing or something else? Yeah, it's a it's a pricing uh, reduction, you know, and it's it, it's good for us to use our tanks at full capacity. Um, you know, we understand that we have some customers that aren't going to need 250 barrels of beer, but we also want to put that out there that if they do brew more more beer, the price goes down accordingly. And, and, you know, that just makes sense. I mean, you're, you know, whether you're brewing 50 barrels or brewing 250 barrels, you've still got one tank that you've got to monitor all the, all the QA data. You've got to clean the tank. You've got to prep the tank. You've got to, you know, the, the amount of work that goes after you get past the brew house that goes into brewing one batch or five batches is about the same. So, you know, so we, we wanted to make sure that people recognize that and had an opportunity to save a little money if they wanted more beer. Makes sense. We had talked um, a couple of weeks ago and you had mentioned that um, some breweries ask for data along the way. So tracking data, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe tell us a bit about what types of tracking data are people asking for and maybe relatedly, what kind of data would you recommend uh, they, that they ask for? Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of a mixed bag, depending on the customers. But what we can provide to them is a complete summary of the brew house operation, uh, fermentation data, um, you know, pH monitoring, cell count monitoring, yeast health monitoring, uh, the amount of time it takes to to you know hit different stages in the fermentation and aging process. Brew house yields, bright beer yields. Uh, and of course, you know, the final beer analyticals, um, which is probably the thing we, we get, get most of the requests for is, is to provide an analytical uh, summary of the beer that we brewed for them, you know, alcohol, bitterness, color, you know, those kind of things and making sure we're on, on track. And so it, it, it depends on the customer. Some customers want to get really deep into that and other customers, you know, just trust us to tell them if, if the beer is out of spec at all, uh, or, you know, for whatever reason, if we missed an alcohol target or something like that, which doesn't happen frequently, but, you know, it has happened once or twice. And, you know, we always are pretty upfront about letting people know if, if that's the case. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's really dependent on what the customer asks for. Uh, we don't have anything contractually in what we will provide uh, just because everybody's so different. We just didn't feel like it was worth it. But, you know, we do pretty intensive tracking on our own beers and we're certainly happy to duplicate that process for our customers if they like. And what type of software do you use for that, for that tracking and all those metrics and so we are using, um, for, for the analytical metrics um, and the brewing performance metrics, we're using spreadsheets, honestly. Um, we don't have a good software option for that, but I've been using spreadsheets to do this kind of work for about 20 years now. And, and so I've got it kind of dialed in on how I like to format it, and it's pretty easy. Uh, for everything related to volume, costing, pricing, everything else, we're using orchestrated beer. Okay. Spreadsheets. You're my people, Mitch. <laughs> Love me some spreadsheets. <laughs> That's awesome. So let's let's uh, reverse course a little and talk about the contract. Um, so obviously, lots of details go in here. So the contract brewing agreement. We and we don't need to go too too deep, but I think in your view, what are the most important factors? What do you have to get right in these contracts? So I think the biggest thing is to make sure that it's a, a winning proposition for both parties, right? Uh, we both need to make money on the deal. So that's, that is something that we're pretty cognizant of. And we, wanna, we don't want to price ourselves out of business, but we also want to make a fair, fair profit you know, when we, when we do something for somebody else. So figuring that out based on the cost of the beer and, and, and volume that they're asking for and things like that is pretty important. Uh, I think the other things that, that we address in the contract, we do ask for a volume commitment because we staff to the volume commitments. Uh, this has been a tough one you know, because the the brewing industry by and large has been so wonky the last couple of years, you know, that if people commit to doing a thousand barrels with us and then they hit into a, a COVID situation or something like that, and they're not, they're, they don't need a thousand barrels, uh, that creates some problems for us uh, because we've staffed for that. And then we've got staff that, you know, we're not, we're under utilizing our staff. Um, and so that needs to be addressed in there. Um, um, typically we, we require, uh, eight weeks lead time, uh, a purchase order for the beer. They send us a purchase order. We get it on the schedule. We, we get eight weeks to get it packaged and out the door to them. Uh, they, um, the customers arrange for the shipping of their beer. Uh, they arrange for the pickup. Uh, and at this point we are looking at, uh, in putting in some contract language that, um, allows free storage for a reasonable amount of time, but there's also a situation where if the beer doesn't move, we may go back to them and ask for some storage fees. Um, you know, it, it, the contract thing has been interesting because we've been modifying it all along for the last two and a half years. And, you know, we, you know, things come up that you don't expect and you're like, okay, we better address that in the contract, you know, moving forward. Uh, when we started off doing this, we didn't have contracts. And, you know, we just had verbal agreements, which, you know, really works, you know, because the brewing industry is the brewing industry and people, you know, when you handshake on something, it's, it's as good as your word. And, um, you know, but, you know, when we started growing this program, we realized we needed to have something a little bit more concrete to protect ourselves and also to protect our customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's really just good communication, right? Sort of. Yeah what document expectations and you know it's not trying to 
you know, I, I think there is sort of a negative uh, feeling usually about agreements and contracts, but generally I look at them like this is a way to sort of spell out uh, our expectations so that, you know, there's no hard feelings at the end of it. You know, we're very clear about what we need uh, and what we can do. So have you had any, uh, it, and maybe at New Realm or, or with your previous um, work, any sort of circumstances that arose, any lessons learned, any maybe things that were just went wrong uh, that in hindsight, you're like, ah, yeah, we should have addressed that. Any particular examples? Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, this is really my first brewing contract brewing experience at New Realm. We, we didn't do it at Stone and uh, we didn't do it at Anheuser-Busch. Um, so it's, yeah, it's an interesting question. I think, it, you know, some of the things I mentioned when we talked about modifying the contracts and adding things at a later date stemmed from issues that, that came up. I think, um, uh, you know, sometimes we need to be, uh, more proactive about communicating the data. Uh, that's something that we learned pretty early on, um, you know, and, and, you know, even, even so far as to supplying canning quality checks, seam checks, and things like that to our customers. Um, I think the biggest thing that we've learned with regard specifically to the agreements is to ask for a volume commitment. Uh, and, you know, with the understanding that, um, you know, we're, we're building a plan, a staff based on the commitment that they make. And if they don't make it, it causes us problems. Um, the other thing is uh, that we've done is we've added an ask for a 50% down payment before we brew the beer. Uh, and that is because we're not a bank, you know, and we can't afford to have, you know, that, that money not in, in, our, in our pocket for the eight weeks that it takes to put the beer together um, and get it brewed and packaged and everything. Uh, there was another one that I wanted to bring up as well. And now I'm drawing a blank on it. Oh, making sure that all the packaging material is on site uh, before we brew the beer. And that has been a big one because of all the problems in supply chain with packaging and, and can supply and lid supply and things like that. So we, we've started putting language in the contract that says, hey, if you want us to brew the beer, the packaging material has to be on site. If we're supplying the packaging material, that's fine. Um, you know, then it's a no-brainer. But if, if they want to supply their own cans, uh, it better be on site because the worst thing that ha can happen for us when we're really busy is to have somebody else's beer sitting in a tank and nowhere to go with it. It just creates a log jam in, in everything. Um, and I think the last thing I'll mention is there are going to be times when we're brewing beyond our capacity and, uh, you know, we want to put some language in the contract that addresses some flexibility with timing based on that. You know, our, our priorities still and remains brewing our own beer. And, you know, there have been times um, where we just haven't been able to fit a brew on the schedule, especially if, if we don't get the eight weeks notice, which happens a lot, you know, and we try to be as flexible as possible. It's, you know, we're not, we're pretty transparent with how we communicate. And, you know, it's, it's if somebody asks for a 250 barrel batch to brew next week, chances are we're not going to be able to do it. And, and so, you know, you got to have those communications. And one thing that we do, I think that really helps is with all of our customers, we have weekly conferences. 
and talk about how how their beer is moving, what the plan looks like, what does uh, you know the the two month lookout look like, what does a three month lookout look like, and uh, you know, and if there's anything they need from us that they're not getting, and that that really helps the process. Doing it over email doesn't work. Uh, that has led to all sorts of problems, and you know, people don't always have time to digest emails, and if you set aside a a specific time and, and duration to talk about this stuff, it, it makes the process go a lot smoother. Mm, that's really smart. Yeah, just keeping in touch with each other throughout the process. So you had mentioned um, earlier in the conversation, you were kind of specifying what the contract um, or what the what your prospective customer might want to uh, brew, whether it's beer or seltzer. What are the different uh, types of products that you guys offer outside of or in addition to beer and seltzer? So uh, we can do basically any kind of beer, uh, except for a fermented sour type thing or barrel aged or something like that. We can't really support that, but you know, any beer style is fair game. Um, we can do, uh, we can do seltzers. Uh, we had been talking to some people about doing non-alcoholic sodas, non-alcoholic beers. Um, you know, those kind of things. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, pretty much anything that our equipment can handle, we can do, we have, we've had, had to turn away some people that wanted, um, NA beers that, that were arrested fermentation beers, or, you know, the yeast that doesn't ferment all the sugar kind of thing, because we don't have a pasteurizer. And, you know, that's, we can't do that and give them a quality, safe, stable product without a pasteurizer, a tunnel pasteurizer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those, those are the kind of things that we can't do, you know, but we've looked at, at RTD cocktails in Atlanta because we have a distiller's permit there. Um, you know, seltzers, non-alcoholic sodas we've looked at. Uh, haven't pulled the trigger on, on any of those except beer so far, but we've had some pretty serious conversations and we've got some in the works right now. Interesting. So you have the capability to do the RTD cocktails, for example. Yes. Yes. Nice. Okay. As far as, um, so those are kind of the flavors and styles and so forth. How, how flexible are you with the packaging sizes, um, you know, cans, can sizes, bottles, package configurations? So when we first started, we were operating a pneumatic scale Angelus six head inline filler in Virginia Beach. And, you know, it was canning at about 45 cans a minute, 50 cans a minute, somewhere in that range. And we were limited to standard 12 ounce and 16 ounce cans with pack tax. And last year we commissioned a $3 million KHS canning line uh, with carton, you know, box building capabilities, tray packers, uh, depalletizers, palletizers, mix pack capability. Um, you know, so now we can offer 12 ounce and 16 ounce standard, of course, but we can also do 12 ounce sleek. We can do 19.2 ounce. We can do four packs. We can do six packs. We can do 24 packs, uh, 12 packs. So, and, and um, so we've got a lot of flexibility on the packaging side. We don't, it's interesting because 19.2 ounce cans are the one that we're commissioning that capability right now. Initially, we didn't have it and we had to go out and get some change parts and things 
And we don't have any customers that are interested in that, but we're certainly interested in being able to put beer in a 19.2 ounce can. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, but we do have a lot of flexibility with our package. And, you know, if, if the customer wants pack techs, we can do that too. We've got a, uh, with this can line project, we put in a, a pack tech applicator. So we can, and we still do several of our own beers in pack tech. So uh, that's been a, a nice bit of flexibility as well. What do you see as from the customers that you have, what is the, what are the top packages that, that they need? Um, most, most of our customers are looking for six packs in uh, 16 ounce, four packs in pack decks. Um, we have a customer that is working on cartons right now. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. We haven't had a lot of interest in doing any of those oddball size cans. Okay. So given what you've experienced with contract brewing, if there are other breweries out there that are listening to this and they're either thinking, well, I don't necessarily need to have my beer contracted, but I might want to take on this type of a business model if they've got capacity. Is this something you would recommend that they look at? And if so, you know, what are maybe the first steps to, to determine if it's a good fit for their business? Yeah, I think um, probably the first thing I would look at is, number one, whether you have the capacity to actually actually do this or, you know, if you're going to be at capacity within two years, you, you may want to hold off on, on doing this kind of thing. Because most people that contract brew are looking for um, a somewhat long-term commitment. Now, there, there are others that are building a brewery and just want to contract brew for a few months, and that's fine too. Um, you know, so I would, I would kind of specify what you're looking for uh, from a customer standpoint, what kind of commitment you're, you're looking for. Um, the other piece of this is the administrative side of contract brewing is a burden. It is a lot of work. Uh, you know, our, our supply chain director, she essentially is planning brewing for, you know, seven to eight different customers, including our own selves. And then on the finance side, it's the same thing. You know, we have to invoice these people, we have to set up payment terms, all that kind of stuff. So if you don't have the administrative tasks, uh, staff to, to really manage that, you're going to be, you're going to struggle with it. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, anything any resources that either you found or could could point to uh, people to if they want to learn a little bit more about the particulars of contract brewing? Any websites, books, um, things of that nature? You know, I I've looked and I haven't found much. <laughs> um, I had you know really what we did uh, is we talked to some brewers who were doing it. Uh, that were friends of mine. And I said, okay, tell me what we need to do. What do we, what questions do we need to ask? How do we need to set this up? And, and actually there were, there were a couple uh, that were pretty helpful and pretty, pretty forthcoming with the information. And I really appreciated it because otherwise we wouldn't know what the heck we were doing. Um, you know, the biggest thing is, is, is pricing and how to price, um, how to price the, you know, the, the production so that, you know, both breweries make a profit off of it. Um, and, you know, you have to do some pretty in-depth financial analysis on what it costs to brew your, your beer, you know, and what the labor costs are, what the overhead costs are, what the utilities costs are. And if you don't have a good grasp on that, uh, then it's very hard to make sure that you're pricing things appropriately. Mm, good point. And you guys do most of that in O-Beer. You had mentioned 
uh, determining all your costs and so forth there? Yeah, we do. We build a recipe in Obeer and then we can pull in the current pricing for the ingredients that are in the recipe. And, and then we had to set up labor costs that are, that was a separate process, you know, but uh, labor and handling costs, we just, we set up and we, we got some help with that with some friends that were doing it and, you know, what kind of numbers made sense. And, you know, and, and, and certainly, you know, once we start doing it, um, you know, if we need to make some adjustments to the terms, uh, we're happy to talk about that, you know, within reason. Um, you know, there are, there are some people that have asked for some, you know, some processes that are labor intensive, and we need to make sure those are addressed in the, in the pricing. So. Gotcha. And as you're, I imagine as you're going through the contract process and quoting process, you're, you're answering all the questions of who's going to supply packaging materials, for example, certain recipes, ingredients, and is that kind of factored into what the overall price is going to be? Oh, absolutely. Anything that the customer supplies, we don't, we don't charge anything but a very minimal handling fee. We don't want them to lose money on that. Uh, you know, and a lot of our customers like to use their own hops, which is great. You know, I have no, no issue with that. Some, some of our customers send in their own cans or their own kegs. All of that is fine as long as it works on our equipment. So, um, you know, and that's, that's all, you know, when we calculate the the pricing for the invoice that's all accounted for mm -hmm. and are you guys currently looking seeking taking on new customers we are we're in discussions with a few folks right now but we'd like to to increase the volume that we do uh for contract brewing uh i put an ad out on brewbound about a month ago and they've gotten some interest there and we're having some good conversations right now but yeah we're you know, we're always willing to talk to people about it and uh, see if there's a way we can work something out. So if someone listening to this now is interested in learning more about that service, what's the best way for them to, to do that and connect with you or who the appropriate person is at New Realm? Yeah, probably me to start with. Um, and my email is msteel at newrealmbrewing.com. Uh, I'm on, you know, Facebook and, and Instagram. And I've gotten a lot of inquiries through Facebook, which have actually panned out really well. So, you know, there's, uh, you know, or even just picking up the phone and calling New Realms general number, I'll get the message and, and call, call you back. And, you know, so yeah, there's, um, you know, if you, if you see our ad on Brewbound, you can click on that and it, it, there's an option to send me an email and, and so I've gotten some that way as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, that's probably the easiest way. And then what I do is I start looping in other people, depending on how far we get into the conversation. Well, thank you so much for your time, Mitch. I think a great overview of the contract brewing, the, the details, you know, how people can learn a little bit more about it. And obviously, if it's a need for them, uh, they can connect with you to get Absolutely. going. So thanks so much cool. for your time. All right, Kerry. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. For more resources, tools, guides, and online courses, visit craftbreweryfinancialtraining.com. And don't forget to sign up for the world-famous Craft Brewery Financial Training Newsletter. Until next time, get out there and improve financial results in your brewery today.